some religion, true I think more than others, adore Mary and other religions ignore Mary. I'm afraid that among those who ignore her is the group to which we belong. For Protestants seem to feel that because of the way Mary is seen in other religion, that we want to make sure that we do not want to be associated with that, so we have been almost silent on the life of Mary. I trust that as we have been looking at these Advent Sundays, that we will be able to come to understand something unique about this young lady and how her life can become a pattern for our lives in the 21st century. The Bible doesn't put Mary where some religion put her, nor does it ignore what some of us do. The section we're about to look at is called the Magnificat. It's a Latin word, and it literally means a sacred song. A sacred song. It's interesting, it doesn't say that Mary sang this, but it is assumed that the way in which it is written, the, the, the poetry is so beautiful that one cannot help but see, see music in it. The same thing is said about the angels. We say the angels sang. But it doesn't say that the angels sang. It says the angels said. But what is, what is being done, the way in which it is being done, you cannot, get, you cannot escape the fact that we have this idea that this is a joyful expression, and joyful expression is usually expressed in music. I like to say, and it is true, that Christianity is the only religion that sings in the major key. Almost every other religion sings in the minor key. The minor key is a key of, of, of sadness, of solemnness, and, and there is a place for that. But Christianity sings with what we might call gusto. It sings with a sense of excitement, and, and there is a reason for that, and we will try and find that in Mary's song this morning. There are several songs in the Bible, and there are some who criticizes Mary, thinking that she may have borrowed from some of those songs to deal with what she's dealing with here, and that is far from the truth. There are different songs altogether. Even the song of Zacharias is not the same as Mary's song. And what I want to do this morning, for the time given, is, is, to, is, to, is to enter into the emotions of Mary. To, to, to really move from just information gathered to information felt. One of the things that is, and, and, and I am guilty of this as anybody, that sometimes we give the feeling that, that our religion is only to prepare us to go to heaven. It, it is only uh, an experience that makes sure we're not going to hell. But there's nothing else to it. We don't want to be an emotionalist. You know, people that are 
emotionless or stoic. They grin and bear it. The emotionalism, emotionalism is the person who goes crazy. And, and, and someone that comes from a British background like I do, that's not for me. I, I, I told my class this morning, I'm not a hand raiser, a hand clapper, I'm a feet tapper. <laughs> Nobody can see my feet tapping. And this hides me very nicely, by the way. You know, can't see what's going on. But no, there is joy, my friends. One of the things that happened when Mary got the news about what was going to happen to her life, something happened to her. In fact, something happened within her. And I want you to look with me for a moment in your outline as I have titled my first thought this morning as the emotion, the emotion of Mary. Like I said, there's a difference between emotion. Emotion is that mental state arising spontaneously rather than through conscious effort. You know, someone does something and so I responded the way they want me to. Uh, when I used to go to baseball games in Toronto, you remember they used to have the, uh, the wave? And, and people who went to the game with me waved, but I never. I said, I didn't come here for exercise. I came here to watch a baseball game. And so I never participated. J. Vernon McGee was once asked by some people who have a very rousing religion, um, why don't you get excited? Don't you want to go to heaven? He said, yes, but I want to go first class. (laughs) (laughs) Emotionalism, my friends, has no control, has has no reason at all. Christians' emotions have a reason. And I never heard, and I listened to several, read several books dealing with this, and I don't know that anyone said this. What is the cause of Mary's joy? What is it that is moving her to the place that she is now being carried outside of herself because of what's happening inside of her? What is the cause? You listen to people like Oprah and others, especially people who study yoga, and they will tell you to empty your mind. And when you empty your mind, you don't know what will fill it. But Mary did not empty her mind. Her mind was full. Her mind was filled. I get that from verse 45 in our text. Even though I had Taylor read from verse 46. Listen to how Elizabeth greeted Mary and how she ended what led to the Magnificat. Verse 45. And this is Elizabeth speaking of Mary. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. She believed what had been spoken. Gabriel came and told Mary what was going to happen, and Mary believed it. She didn't empty her mind. And and, and this, this, this 
excitement of Mary came as a result of believing God. Believing that what God had spoken, God was able to fulfill. When she asked, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I don't know a man. I've never laid with a man. And the angel said to her, God will take care of the conception, which we will look at next Sunday morning. And Mary believed that. My friends, you know, Jesus was not able to do very many miracles in his hometown. You know why? Because they didn't believe him. And I wonder if today, you know, sometimes we hear promises from God, but we, we are not too sure that God is going to carry through. So before we, we obey the promise, we want to know the consequences of it. Mary said, it doesn't matter. I know that others will criticize my pregnancy. I know that Joseph might not believe me, but God believes me. God believes in me, and so I believe God. That was the cause of her joy. And the interesting thing is, the, 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 the uh, definition of emotions, a state arising from spontaneous causes. And Mary believed, and as soon as Elizabeth was finished, Mary said... Mary said, spontaneous. The whole thing is happening because of something else. Jesus said this in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you. So there was something happening to Mary inwardly in her emotions because something was said that stirred her emotions to what we're about to read. What was the consequences of her joy? She was persuaded. She gives it to us in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. It's interesting what Mary's saying here. The soul is our vital existence. The soul is where we live. The soul is where we think. Where we think of time and where we think of eternity. The soul is the center of who we are. The soul is such a valuable thing that Jesus said if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, he doesn't gain a single thing. The soul is where we live. It's where we think about death. It's where we think about tomorrow. Her joy registered at the very center of her being, the message, that as soon as that message touched her in her soul, she burst out, she exploded as it were, because this is about what happened. She exploded. 
My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, here is something we need to ask ourselves. How can one magnify the Lord? You know, when you take a telescope and you put it out there, you're able to see the vastness of our universe to some extent through the lens. Mary was seeing the magnitude of God through the lens of the promises of God. She was told in Luke 1.37, nothing shall be impossible with God. And as a result of that, she began to be stirred, stirred within her, herself, her center. She didn't feel that she was beside herself. She didn't feel that she was outside of herself. Her innermost being, where the scriptures, Peter puts it this way. Peter says, even though we do not see him now, yet we joy with unspeakable joy that is full of glory. 1 Peter 1.8. For you and me now, my friends, what Jesus speaks to us can cause our souls to be touched, to explode with a sense of joy. This is, this is what the season... You know, I was listening... We have, we have Sirius radio in, in, our, in, our, radio, in our car. And, um, and, and one reason, to be honest with you, is because I just can't send all the commercials you hear in the other stations. And I, I just want to hear something that I don't have to, you know, scream at. And, um, <laughs> and I, I, was, I was, listen, we have the Hallmark channels, channel, and, and they have Christmas songs. And once you've heard the first two days of it, you, you've heard it. Because they keep repeating it all over and over and over and over and over and over again. And, and one of them was, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better watch out, I'll tell you why. And then they go to this. He knows who's been naughty. He knows who's been good. So you better be good for goodness sake. Because if you don't, you won't get anything for Christmas. <laughs> My friends. The joy of Christmas is that people who didn't deserve anything got something. While we were yet sinners, God sent Jesus into the world. And nothing can cause a person's soul to be filled with ecstasy like divine truth awakening the soul to ultimate reality. Divine truth, causing the soul to explode because of being touched by divine reality. My soul magnifies the Lord. I am thinking thoughts of God I've never had before because what he's about to do, only a God as he could do. But not only her soul. He says, my spirit rejoices. I know that in the King James, the, the verbs seem to be past tense. And see, Mary is saying, it is going to happen. I know it. I believe God. God doesn't lie. God cannot lie. Now, theologians have a great time trying to figure out what do we do 
Is the soul and the spirit the same? Some say yes, some say no. Well, I've looked in the scriptures and I find two compelling scriptures that tells me that they're not the same. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 speaks of the body, soul, and spirit. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 speaks about the word of God coming into, as it did to Mary, and divide between the soul and the spirit. So if the soul is the center of my being, the spirit is the expression of what is happening in my soul. The spirit communicates with God. The soul is what happens to me. The spirit takes what happens to me and gives glory to God. And that's why she said, my spirit rejoices. See, it is not simply something I sit like this. And someone says, what's the matter? You look so sober. I went to visit someone in a hospital in Toronto when I was there. A person was, was sick and I went to the hospital and I took to visit them. And, and when I was there, they were fast asleep. So I thought I didn't want to disturb them. So I left a, I left a note saying, I came to visit you, but you look so beatific. I didn't want to disturb your repose. I've never heard if they read it or not, or if they understood what I was saying. What I was saying, my friends, because it enters the soul, doesn't mean the spirit responds to it. Or because it enters the soul, there are certain ways that certain spirits will. Some people think, I will respond by this way. Some people think I will respond by this way. But what is happening, that what is happening in the soul is not kept to the soul. What is happening to the soul is being expressed in the spirit. And you will, you will, you will observe something of, of the, the, the beauty, the beauty of that spirit. My soul, my spirit. The soul is the principle of the individuality, the seat of personal impression, having a side in, in, in contact with the material, the material element of humanity, as well as with the spiritual. But the spirit is the highest, deepest, noblest part of our humanity, the point that makes contact between me and God. So before we're Christians... We're all confused inside. And when the word of God comes and registered in us, it divides between the soul, which awakens our sense of need and connection with God. This is what I was created for. And my purpose in life is to experience the joy of God so that I glorify him. So this is what Mary's doing. She's not simply excited. She's excited because her soul is alive. She's excited because deeply within her is joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. 
You can't buy that. Nobody sells that. It's something that God gives. Let me look at my second point, the emphasis of Mary, the emphasis. You look at this, magnificent, and you will see Mary emphasizing different things about God. Take time and look at how many times she uses the first person pronoun he, 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 or anything that relates to it, him, him, him. There is nothing in this magnificent about Mary. Everything about God. That's her emphasis. Look at Mary's concern. Excuse me. For the condescension of God. You know what it means to condescend? It means to come down to a different, a level that is lower than yourself. Listen to Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. And it shall be said, build, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way, for thus says the one, capital O, who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, here it is, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with those who are of a lowly spirit. Mary is saying something here. My soul magnifies the Lord. Why? Because he had regards for the lowly. He has, listen, that word regard encompasses the whole idea of having respect for something that doesn't deserve it. He has regards for the lowly. In other words, God condescended. He didn't need us. As we talked about the upper level, he existed for all eternity, Father, Son, Spirit, and the creatures around him adoring him. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. All these things my hands have made, and so all these things can be declared as the Lord's, but this one, this one is the one to whom I look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. My friends, Christmas is God doing something that no other God for any other religion will ever do or has done. Let me give you an illustration. I happened to be looking at one of the stations I look at on my computer. And uh, I came across this by David Platt. I love it. Thought I'd share it with you. David Platt was in, um, he didn't tell exactly where he was, but he was visiting somewhere out of North America. And he happened to be in the company of two other fellows who were talking about religion. And David said, I listened to them talking. And the one guy said, God, I, I know that there exists a God, and all roads lead to God. One needs that road, another one needs this road, but ultimately, all the roads end up in the same place. And David Platt said, I listened to them as they talked, 
And when they were finished, David said to them, can I say something? And they said, sure. He said, so what you're saying is like, God is like at the top of the mountain, and we are here. He said, no, I'm a Christian. So you're saying that your belief will take you there, and your belief will take me there, and my belief will take me there. He said, yeah, you're one of us. And David said, I have something to say to you. The difference between your religion and what I believe, what would you do if I tell you that in my religion, God came to where we are? God came to where we are. Every religion in the world is where they're trying to get to God. But in the Christmas story, God came where you are, where I am, where the world is. What a beautiful story. That's what God did, friends. That's why Mary's, Mary can't believe her eyes, her heart. God came to Nazareth, that despised place, that place for overnight behavior of men with young girls, and she kept herself pure in the midst of all the corruption of Nazareth, and the Holy Spirit was going to inhabit her womb to give birth to the Son of God, and Mary was stunned, stunned at the condescension of God. You know, I, 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 I sometimes I'm reluctant to tell these stories, you know, but one of the things I will never, never forget, the time I was invited in, in, in Toronto, Lois and myself, to meet Billy Graham, and there were a lineup of officials here, and we were coming this way, and as we came and we got to Billy Graham, he reached his hand out, and my friend who was inviting, who was uh, introducing us, and he was a friend of mine, personal friend of mine, he said, Dr. Graham, this is Reverend Thurton. And Billy Graham took my hand and says, Brother Thurton. See, he introduced me because of my position. Billy Graham greeted me because of our relationship. Brother. He didn't, he didn't say, nice to meet you, Reverend Thurton, no. Because the distinction, the condescension of God is that there are no levels of acceptance, no race, no grace, nothing. God condescends to the rich as he does to the poor, to the rich, to the educated, to the uneducated, to the black, the yellow, the white, whatever he or she may be. He condescends to be where they are. Mary was stunned by this and could not get over it, the condescension of God. But she was also stunned by the competence of God. Look at verse 49, the mighty one, the mighty one. That word mighty is speaking of God, God's sovereign rule. It, it is talking, my friends, of what God is able to do. We find the same idea in, in, John, in, Matt, in Luke 1, 37. With God, nothing is impossible. In Jeremiah 32, 17, God confronted Jeremiah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the idea of the word. The ableness of God, the mighty one has done. That's what she's saying. 
What has the mighty one done? The mighty one has actually accomplished things with his, his, with his hand. I came across this. I thought it was quite interesting. God's great power is represented by his fingers. By his fingers. His greater power by his hands. The greatest of God's mighty power is by his arm. And you read in the scriptures again, by my mighty arm I have done this. He's saying that what was being done could only be done by divine power. God knows where, when, and how. And I love Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to his power who works in us, to him be glory forever and ever in the church. To him who is able to do above. You, my friends, if Mary wanted to get pregnant, she would never think of the Holy Spirit coming upon her. Never. Because that's not the way we think humanly. God is the one who, who is doing this all. You know, I, I didn't know. The competence of God. The ableness of God. Let me take one minute to tell you of something that happened to us uh, this past week. Um, my wife was at the hairdressers, and she had our vehicle parked on the side of the road, and someone rammed the side of, 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 of uh, our vehicle, and we were fine. There's no problem. And I said, I said my, my joy was that you were not in it. That's what I was more concerned about. But the fellow who hit the vehicle took off. And there was somebody following this guy. We don't know who. And the guy got to a place and the fellow took his, this is one of the cell phones really good for, isn't it? Took his license plate and so on and he went into the place where he was and he said, I saw you hit that vehicle and you better go back and find out who that vehicle belongs to. If you don't, I'm going to take this to the police because that's a felony, hit and run. The fellow came back, a nice young fellow, Scared as a rabbit. <laughs> and he said to me on the phone and later on when we met him, he said, thank you so very much for being able to, for wanting to work with me to help me with this. He said, if you don't mind, I'd like to pay for it so that my insurance doesn't go up. I said, if you work with me, I'll work with you. And we met him. And one of the things he could not get over, and I'm just saying this because of his words, not because of me or Lois as he met us. He said, thank you so much for working with me. I really, really appreciate it. And I thought, isn't that amazing? that God would have someone following this guy, taking time to go and go into the store where this guy is, and tell this guy what, my friends, that's the competence of God. That's the ability of God. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the whole earth to watch the good and the bad. That's God. 
the competence of God, the mighty one has done great things for me. He has reserved my life for the coming of his son. And that takes the power of God. Mary responded also with the compassion of God. The compassion of God. Look how many times she uses the word mercy. Mercy, mercy, again and again and again. What is mercy? What is the difference between mercy and grace? I'll, I'll, I'll shorten this. Grace deals with our guilt. Mercy deals with our misery. In mercy, God comes to relieve us of the pains we're carrying, emotional pains, physical pains. He comforts us in all our affliction with the comfort that he gives to those who trust him. But the interesting thing with this word mercy, the word is the same as the word compassion. And whenever you read it, the compassion of God in the Old Testament, it is always this way. The Lord is full of compassion. Full of compassion. I have text after text here. Full of compassion. Read it for yourself. And that word, full, being translated from the Hebrew simply means this. That complete compassion find their meaning in God. Complete compassion find their ultimate meaning in God. No one can care for us as God can. No one. That's what Mary was saying. And lastly, the expression of Mary. There we were looking at what I call her emphasis. It was on the condescension, the condescension of God, upon the competence of God, upon the compassion of God. Now her expression, they were historical, historical. That's what his arms have gotten him. And in history, you will find God at work generation after generation. When you look in your Bibles and you find in the book of Matthew what we, what we call the genealogy. And when you look in Luke and you find the genealogy, you will see how God was working from the first promise he made that a Messiah would come into the world. How God preserved the seed so that it would not be corrupted that by the time Mary was about to give birth, the whole process process, the whole historical, right be, uh, on the, the lower level, God was at work. And you will find some names in the genealogy of Jesus. You thought, what? How did Rahab get her name in that? How in Tamer, how did Tamer got her name? My friends, you know who makes up the, you know who Jesus died for? He died for sinners. For you, for me. And what we have here, what we have here, Mary is expressing the historical way and the greatest event in history was about to take place. Someone gave me a, a, um, a poem that, that Nancy wrote. I'll read it next Sunday because it will fit into the service for next, next Sunday. But, and it's a beautiful song we're going to be singing, I think. King of Kings, I hope we're going to be singing it for next Sunday. And, and that song traces the, the history of redemption. From the plan in heaven, the work on earth, to Calvary, to the ascension. That, my friends, 
is God at work in history. Just like he had that man following this guy that hit my wife's car. But her expression was not only historical, it was also biblical. She named Abraham as receiving the first promise. She calls God holy. She uses the, the holy name of God and, and, and she relates to God who is her savior. Mary was saying that she did not have what it took as an individual to get to heaven. She needed a savior like anybody else. And she said, God is my savior. And there is Mary, the Magnificat. What she did, she exploded with ecstatic joy because God touched her at her deepest being. And then she rejoiced in God her Savior by narrating for you and me the biblical and the historical history of what we call the incarnation. No wonder the angels said, glory to God in the highest. Let us pray. My friends, when Gabriel went to Mary and told her, Mary was frightened. And Gabriel said, don't be frightened. The grace of God is upon you. And friends, I wonder if there's someone in this place this morning that is frightened at surrendering to Jesus Christ. If I surrender to him, he might ask me to do something I don't want to do, send me to some place I don't want to go. But, oh, friends, may I suggest to you that you are safest in the world when you are safe in the will of God. So I take just a minute, just a minute, if God has spoken to you about your life, you want to surrender to him this morning, this is for someone who is a believer. If you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, this is the opportunity you have this morning. Mary needed a Savior, and if she did, you and I do. Will you respond to God in whichever way the Spirit has spoken to you today? Lord, as, as, as we try to struggle through full commitment to you, grant us the grace to do it completely because when we worship you with our whole heart, you give your whole heart to us. In fact, you have in giving of your son. Seal whatever decision was made in here this morning. And Father, may it be, uh, may it be proven by the joy we have of trusting Jesus Christ and surrendering to him. We pray in his name. Amen.